Hello, this is The Truth of the Matter Is. I'm your host, Daniel, and I am here with Jonathan. We're back for episode number 74. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we just want to let you know that we appreciate you for listening in today. Before we get started, let's give a round of applause to all who have decided to tune in today. Of course, this could be episode one in your book or episode 74 as a long-time listener. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. Yeah, so we have much to cover today, so let's not waste any time. Let's begin with prayer. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, let every knee bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. To those who believe that, we rejoice as we look forward to seeing it come into pass. For those who are not sure, we think it's okay, it's fine. We pray that in time you will believe and come to faith in Jesus Christ. As for today, we take this opportunity to ask you, Lord, if you don't mind, open all eyes to see, all ears to hear, all hearts to receive, all minds to retain all the information today with understanding. We thank you and appreciate all that are tuning in. We pray and we hope that after today, you have learned something. Lord, have your way, for it is you who needs to be lifted up. All will be drawn to you. Lord, you are the only way, the only truth, the light, and the life. To all that are in agreement with this statement, please say, in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Amen. So the topic of today's discussion is Jesus proven versus Jesus revealed. Again, it's Jesus proven versus Jesus revealed. As we come down to close in the Gospel of Luke, this is something we must address and, of course, understand moving forward. Okay. The goal, hopefully, after today. You know, the conversation or the truth of the matter is, is that we all get clarity and understanding. To those who have clarity and understanding, we hope that this depth of information could be rewarding and useful to you as you embark and discuss things of God with other believers or unbelievers. Remember, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all thy getting, get understanding. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to repeat that. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And all thy getting, get understanding. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. Now, there are two approaches people have in trying to understand Jesus. There are two types of arguments that point to addressing this Jesus. There is Jesus proven or Jesus revealed. Now, as a philosopher myself, I've explored both arguments and I'm here to suggest to you that Jesus revealed to begin with is the way to go and the way to make sense of God's activity instead of Jesus proven. Jesus revealed is biblical. It's in the scriptures. And is supernaturally referenced in many 
personal testimonies. So let's unpack this, shall we? Let's begin by saying this. Jesus has nothing to prove to you. Absolutely, positively, nothing. However, he's chosen to reveal himself. Okay? He's chosen to reveal himself to those who love him and also those who don't. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, there are some people out here that declare that God needs to prove himself to them. The reason God opposes the proud is because pride stems from self-righteousness and conceit. To be clear, I'm not talking about the pride in 2 Corinthians 7, 4. And we'll take a look at this for context in the King James Version. It says, great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glory of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyfully and all tribulation. So we're not talking about that pride. God opposes the proud because pride is sinful and it's an hindrance to seeking him. God is the creator. And unfortunately, to those who don't understand, we were created to serve and worship God. We were also created for the son. Now, to some hearing that, right, it may sound harsh. However, it's all in how you choose to understand the sequence of events. It's the lens you choose to interpret the narrative to either embrace God's goodness or reject God's love and his way of living and being. I think some people have forgotten that in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 28, Paul says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. The word of God tells me that God is love. In fact, he loved me. And I can no longer look further than, of course, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That, my friends, is God's essence. Is love. Our Bible tells me that God is just and upright. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4. That is God's essence. Our Bible tells me that God is light and in him there is no darkness. First John chapter 1 verse 5. That is his essence. This is why we suggest that reading your word is important because once you know the God you serve ain't no one. And I know that can be broken English, but there is no one that can tell you different. Remember the thing of the year, and that is fill up your jar with God's word. Therefore, I'm here to say that I don't mind being under the guidance and protection of Jesus Christ. I don't mind allowing God to order my steps. I don't mind because all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called and are called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. Now let's 
also look at a few more biblical texts to support. Daniel? Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 in the English Standard Version says, Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 in the English Standard Version as well, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In Psalms chapter 100 verse 3 in the English Standard Version as well, it says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, and plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And lastly, we take a look at Romans chapter 9, verse 20. It says, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say, to the one who is formed it why did you make me like this so when it comes to jesus proving here's what you need to understand so let's define proven daniel proven demonstrated by evidence or argument to be true or existed or known to be valid effective or genuine so if i may i want to make this a little personal right and apply some of what i've learned in my prep for the lsat for law school There are two words I want to talk about, and I'm sure most of you have heard of these words, especially in the the education system. And it comes up when you're reading stimuluses. Now, stimulus is basically a mini passage or mini paragraph. Those two words are premise and conclusion. What a premise does, right, is it supports the conclusion when it comes to identifying a premise. What you're looking for as support is data or data depending on who you speak to, right? Statistics, correlations, and facts. The conclusion, obviously, is the summary, the main point of the stimulus. So what am I looking for to identify a conclusion? Predictions, recommendations, mandates, judgments, evaluations, and explanations. I hope you're following me so far. So when people ask you, to prove the existence of God or the proof of Jesus, they're looking for premises, right? They are are wanting data or data, statistics, correlations, and facts. But catch this though. What I think gets overlooked, however, is the second part of the definition of proven, and that is a strong argument. A strong argument can be made that doesn't need support of a premise. There's something called a paradox, which means, Daniel? A similarly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove it to be well-founded or true. Yeah, so the problem is when it comes to the evidence of God, some people have an issue with your source. Some don't want to objectively accept your evidence, right? The Bible, unfortunately, to those who haven't recognized it or refused to acknowledge it. It's the most sold book in the world today. It has 66 books of ancient writings, right? It's been around for a while. The issue with God's word is that it holds you accountable once you pick it up and you start reading it, right? 
Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 was clear in the NIV. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing souls and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So God's word, the Bible, is also God's testimony. You see, from a historical perspective, what's undeniable is we see the impact of God's life, Jesus Christ, right? We look no further than the timeline. B.C., which represents before Christ. A.D., which represents after death. Guess what? To some people, it's still not enough evidence of Jesus' existence, right? They don't think it is. They don't think it's enough evidence of Jesus' existence. Despite what of God is clear, though, let's go to Second Peter chapter one, verse sixteen through twenty-one, and I love how it is phrased in the Message Bible. Daniel, we weren't, you know, just wishing on the star when we laid the facts out before you regarding the powerful return of our Master Jesus Christ. We were there for the preview. We saw it with our own eyes. Jesus resplendent with light from the God, from God the Father. As the voice of majestic glory spoke, this is my son marked by my love. Focus all of my delight. We were there on the holy mountain. We heard the voice out of heaven with our own ears. We couldn't be more sure of what we saw and heard. God's glory, God's voice, the prophetic word was confirmed to us. You will do well to keep focusing on it. It's the one light you have in a dark time as you wait for daybreak and the rising of the morning star in your hearts. The main thing to keep in mind here is that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of private opinion. And why? Because it's not something concocted in the human heart. Prophecy resulted when the human spirit prompted men and women to speak God's word. So let's go to one more text of reference, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 in the English Standard Version. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the remaining of this time, we are going to explain why Jesus revealed is the path you should walk. First thing I did was walk you down the path of Jesus proving and shows you something called a slippery slope argument, which is an idea or course of action which will lead to something to some people unacceptable, wrong, or disastrous. Jesus proving will be unacceptable to many, especially the unbelievers. So let's take the path of Jesus revealed as of right now, okay? Let's define the word reveal, Daniel. Revealed makes us previously unknown or secret information known to others. Or you can define it as cause or allow something to be seen. And lastly, if you choose to, make something known to humans by defying or supernatural means. So why is this word so important? Well, there's a change that occurs. There's a transformation that takes place. You go from being ignorant to knowledgeable. I didn't know, now I know. That's the big jump. You basically move from being in the darkness to being in the light. Big difference, right? Here's something else that happens. 
The first definition addresses more than one person. If you look at the end of the definition revealed, reveals it makes known to others, which means more than one is accounted for in that situation. Very powerful catch. So now that we've gotten a lot of that stuff out the way, let's begin by unpacking our first text today to the, you know, our first text for today in support of what we're talking about. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke and we're going to look at chapter 23. We're going to look at verses 44 through 49 in the English Standard Version. Daniel. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sunlight fell and the curtain of the temple was torn into. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintance and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at this watching these things. My attention was grabbed by two things that occurred in this passage. The statement made from the centurion. First thing I did was look into what a centurion does. Centurion commands a unit of around 100 legionaries. They are also responsible for assigning duties, dishing out punishment, and performing various administrative duties, which range from disturbing camps, passwords, to escorts of prisoners. So what is safe to assume here is that this antigen obviously has seen punishment dished out many times, okay? Dealt with many prisoners also, right? Led many men. And for some reason, it was important for him to say and for us to hear that he praised God saying, certainly, this man, Jesus, was innocent. To me, that stands out, and we can't overlook the feeling the strategian had. The second thing was, let's unpack the reaction of the crowd, right, who witnessed Jesus' death to the end. The text said that the people returned home beating their breasts. They returned home beating their breasts. So I was curious, right? Culturally, what did this mean? I personally pictured that action through my own lens. And if I was beating my chest, the reason would have to be a sign of proudness or celebration and a pickup game of basketball and football, to be honest. However, in Jewish culture or religious setting, there is a meaning for this. So beating one's chest is an outward sign of inward contrition or sorrow. In Jewish tradition, any time during a confession, when words to the effect of we have sinned are stated, the left breast over the heart is struck with the right fist. In doing this, one is taking to heart the words being spoken and turning to the penitence. Now, I did not know what penitence meant either, so I looked that up as well. Daniel? Penitence. The feeling of being sorry for something you have done because you feel it was wrong or the act of showing this. So there were some who vocalized the word crucify him, crucify him when Pilate gave the people what they wanted when it came to the release of the prisoner between Jesus and 
I believe it was Barnabas or Barabbas in Luke 23, verse 21. The truth of the matter is the people were given a choice and the end result led to regret, right? There were some who had a high level of respect as well as they witnessed the death of Christ. Now, we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verse 50 through 56 in the English Standard Version. Daniel. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shard and laid him in the temple cut in stone, where no one has ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb, and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the command. So in this instance, we see a man named Joseph, who obviously was part of many trials before this, being that he was a member of the council, and yet something about the decision didn't sit well with him about Jesus, right? The text said he did not agree with the ruling. The text also stated that he was a good and righteous man, which meant he had morals and common sense. He knew of the corruption and clearly saw that the decision made was indeed biased and wrong. The text mentions that he was searching for the kingdom of God, so I wondered, did he find it? In fact, did he recognize that Jesus, what he taught, was in proclaiming the kingdom of God? The text doesn't say. Does he become a follower of Christ? The text doesn't say. However, what I do respect about Joseph is that he honored Jesus by giving him a proper burial, a respected one. Now, before we go any further, I want to dig deeper when it comes to this word revealed, right? We're still on this Jesus revealed versus Jesus proven. And I mentioned that Jesus revealed is biblical. So let's unpack this word and view it through the biblical lens and context. So let's obviously go to Hebrews 11, 1 in the King James. Let's go to Hebrews. 11, 1, excuse me, in the King James Version, and it says, Daniel. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's also, just, you know, let's also define some more words before we go any further. These words are simple, but very important for definitions of reference. Daniel. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, or a feeling of trust. And feeling is an emotional state or reaction, a belief, especially a vague or rational one. And vague is not being able to be relied on, not known or definite, clearly stated or decided. And of course, the last one will be irrational, not logical or reasonable. So what we can conclude so far is in order to understand Jesus revealed, we have to walk down the path of Hebrews 11.1. 1 which Daniel just read, and also Hebrews 11.6, which says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who is the him here? God is. 
In faith, what must we do? Have hope. As believers, I want people to understand that there is nothing wrong with having expectation and desires for things to happen. As believers, we place our trust in God that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The feeling that we have in this state is called belief. However, the issue that people have with this position is the state of vulnerability. Right. The reality is most find this irrational. It's not logical or reasonable. It's vague and it's not able to be relied upon. How do we address this? Well, we're going to go back to a text we've gone over before, but it's worth mentioning. We're going to go to first John chapter one verses one through four. But we're going to look at this in the NLT. Daniel. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our whole hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son. Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So key words in this text here is revealed twice. And also the word fellowship. So John said Jesus was what? Revealed to us, okay? It doesn't say proven. Now, what we get here is a testimony based upon personal exposure, right? Eye to eye witness of the sequence of events. Which is why in the next sentence you get the word fellowship. Now, meaning there could be a gathering in which all who are partakers of this faith can fully embrace, embrace, can fully embrace, agree, and share in this joy. So let's define these two words, shall we, Daniel? Fellowship, friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. Personal concern in one's private life, relationship, and emotions rather than matters connected with one's public or professional career. So this is the reason why God wants relationship with you. This is not a business decision. This is a true connection he wants to have. He wants friendship. He wants to be your friend. He wants assistance. He wants to assist you. Sorry, he wants to assist you in this thing called life, right? It's personal and independent between you and him. Now, let's dig even more deeper. I'm going somewhere with all these definitions and explanations. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10 in the NIV. Daniel? As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. There goes that word revealed again. It means to make known through what? God's spirit. Now, last week, Daniel made an important comment, and that was God comes to seek you out at times. And I agreed. He sure does. I believe he knocks at the heart of every believer and unbeliever. He communicates through people all the time. Now, what we must remember is that God and his word are one. 
Let me repeat that again once more. God and his word are one. The truth of the matter is God has revealed himself to people. But do you know where God does the majority of his of him revealing and speaking through? That will be his word. That's called public revelation. Now, of course, there are personal revelations, right? Promises that God makes with an individual. Not everyone would agree or see the vision that God has laid out for you. That's the reason why it's called personal revelation, right? The beauty and the uniqueness of personal relationship with God is something that can be obtained, obviously, through devotional, through prayer. And in any relationship, it depends how much time you put into it, right? You can't expect something. You can't expect amazing communication and being on the same accord if you're not building or establishing or working on the relationship that you're currently involved in. You can't expect anything good out of that when you're not working on those things. That's the reason why chemistry and things are developed in marriage because of the amount of time that's spent getting to know one another, understanding what makes someone upset or mad or angry. And then correcting it and improving it. And therefore, the marriage can continue to sustain and grow and improve. Right. That's the whole point. The relationship that Christ had with the church is the expectation and the relationship that we ought to have with our family members. And more importantly, in marriage, the relationship with Christ in the church is supposed to be reflective of what marriage is supposed to present. Now, I've used this verse before, Matthew 7, verse 7 through 8 in the NLT. But again, it's worth mentioning. There are some verses that are just profound and are just evident and powerful, no matter how many times you reference it. Sometimes the whole point of referencing over and over again is that, that you remember that it sticks in your mind, in your conscience, and that it is replayed when you're pondering and thinking about things and evolving right keep on asking and you will receive what you asked for keep on seeking and you will find keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who acts receives everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks the door will be open Right. This is a continuation practice of continuing to do these things. You don't stop at one opportunity. You do them continuously. Okay. The goal is we are to seek God. Sometimes the answer comes right away, while other times it takes a while. Perfect example of that is obviously in the book of Daniel. Right. Great example. Now, I want us to go to. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 32 in the English Standard Version. This is exactly what we, we actually have been preparing for, so that when we read this text, we have an understanding of what's transpiring. What's... That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him and he said to them what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk and they stood still looking sad then one of them named cephas answered them are you the only visitor to jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in 
there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the temple and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of hearts to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is towards even, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? All right, great job, Dan. So you see that the word hope was used in this text, right? What is the conclusion of this text? Well, Jesus did not prove himself here. He just revealed himself. You see, there's a passage in Romans, chapter 15, verse 4 in the English Standard Version that says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Jesus set the perfect example for you and I. He went to the scriptures for what? Clarification and understanding. Jesus revealed himself literally, but also biblically. The text said that Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning of himself to them. Right? The scripture said eventually the eyes became open. So remember, anytime I've mentioned this before, there are times when you read the word of God and some things don't make sense. That's fine. That's okay. Every time you read God's word, you're not going to get all of it in one setting. It's development and growth that allows you to understand what certain scriptures mean. Okay. The whole point of the process of studying is to be able to to educate yourself and inform yourself to be better equipped of what was stated for your benefit. Okay? So, Jesus left the blueprint. The blueprint was obviously clear. Go to the scriptures. Remember, for something to be revealed, it means to make unknown or secret information known to others. It was caused and it became something allowed that something could be seen. God, of course, was made known through Jesus Christ through the resurrection, which is divine and supernaturally providentially seen. Right. 
Jesus did not prove himself here. He just revealed himself. Now, let me finish by saying this, right? You start off with Jesus revealed, but guess what? Once Jesus has revealed himself to you, you start your journey, obviously, with Christ as your Savior. And Jesus proven starts to become a real thing. Why? Because you're a living testimony now. Your testimony of God has impacted your life. And guess what? Things become very real and realistic to you. And get, guess what also happens? The things that are happening to you are factual, which puts you in the category of sharing and allowing premises within your own life to be evidence of the testimony of how God has impacted your life and changed you for the better. Okay? Evidence that's happening in your life that are factual is proof and evidence of your transformation. Jesus proven in your life and Jesus revealed can then simultaneously both occur. And I say this because I want people to understand in order for Jesus proven to make sense in the life of a believer, Jesus revealed through your understanding of scripture and sometimes for others through personal revelation or through personal revelation and then unpacking the scriptures allows you to experience both Jesus revealed and Jesus proven. And on that note, we can finish up with devotional time. You probably haven't thought of even 10% of the questions you should be asking, let alone answering biblically and intellectually. Still, you probably learn and experience much that is true. Truths you can't reveal too often. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 through 20 it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconciliate all things to himself. Do you want to know something truly transforming? Reveal the dozens of who I am in Christ statements compiled by Neil T. Anderson and more than double in size by others untold millions have experienced spiritual healing, health, and hope by reading them. What would happen, however, if you turn the equation around specifically? What would happen in your life if you began affirming what's true about who Jesus Christ is in me? When you ponder this, what immediately comes to mind? Think on that for a second. You can thank the Lord daily for his sovereignty, his greatness, his providence, his goodness, his love, his graciousness, and mysterious and his mystery, God alone knows. In the coming days, continue to consider the many truths about what God's Son means in your life. And here's a small prayer to take you throughout the week. Jesus, please reveal to me who you are and have proven yourself to be in my life. Encourage me and surprise me with unfolding revelations of your presence. I pray. Amen. And all those in agreement say, Amen.